Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. Last week, Jim preached on the beginning of what's known as the travel narrative in the book of Luke. The travel narrative is 10 chapters in the book of Luke. It starts in chapter 9 and goes all the way for 10 chapters. And if you remember, last week, Jim focused on two things that Jesus calls for absolute devotion to him and to his kingdom. And he also made clear that at the very beginning, Jesus says, or the text says, that Jesus set his eyes toward Jerusalem. And he said that what that means is that Jesus is setting his eyes already here in Luke chapter 9 to the cross, to his mission, to what he came to do for people like you and me. Now, this text that we just read is in a very similar vein. It calls for radical obedience and I don't know about you, but for me, I really like those passages that talk about the radical grace of God for suffering sinners like you and me. And I tend to focus only on those. In fact, I'm not going to lie, I took a look at the Old Testament and the epistle and was like, well, I should probably preach on one of them because this is a tough one. even though, and it would be totally legitimate to preach on one of those texts, and I do all the time, but I realized I t- preached on the epistle three years ago, so that would be really me avoiding the text at hand. So, in this text, just like last week, Jesus has a radical demand placed upon his followers. And we're going to attempt to unpack that, and I think that we're also going to see but there's very good news in this text as well. So, let's jump right in. But first, again, last week as a recap, at the beginning of the travel narrative, Jesus encounters three potential followers. Do you remember? The first is like, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And then Jesus mentions that they're not going to stay at the fancy hotels or at the Ritz. And immediately that person's like, well, I didn't sign up for that. The second person comes up to Jesus and says the same thing. I will follow you for wherever you go, but first I have something very important to do. And Jesus says, no, the time is now. Follow me. And the third looked more promising. Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. I'm ready. But then by the end of the text, we realize that potential follower is not actually ready right then And there. And Jesus says, You can't put your hand to the plow and look back. In that text, Jesus calls for radical devotion to Him. We're all in on Him and His kingdom. And in this text, it's very much the same. Again, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and he's going to pass through Samaria. And if you know anything about Samaria, Samaria is made up of Samaritans. And lots of Samaritans were those Jews who intermarried with non-Jews, and they were like worse than Gentiles. They were lukewarm. To these people, they were the half-breeds. But Jesus is going through Samaria, and he's going to announce 
the kingdom of God to these Samaritans, an offense to many of the Jews of his day. And next week, Jim is going to talk about that story that most of us know, the parable of the good Samaritan. But before then, we're here, the Lord, the text says, appoints 70 people, and he puts them out in pairs, and they are to go out into Samaria to prepare the way for the Lord. They are to announce that the kingdom of God has come near. Only just like last week, Jesus makes clear that they are not to take a bunch of suits. They are not to be comfortable. This is a mission of austerity. You are not staying at the W or the Ritz-Carlton you are going to stay with whomever will take you. In addition to that, Jesus makes clear that I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Essentially what that means is this isn't, he's just emphasizing, this isn't going to be comfortable. You are going to experience resistance and rejection. And nevertheless, I call you to go out and to proclaim this message. And while you might be thinking that this text is directed only to missionaries and to ministers like Jim and me, no, no. This text is addressed to you as well. Maybe it's primarily addressed to me and to missionary types, but it is addressed to you, my friends, so there's no way out. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, There are people out there who need to hear this good news, but the laborers are few. And you, my friends, are invited to this harvest. One of the things that I read when I first read this that was actually the scariest for me is that Jesus says, when you go to a house and you you essentially offer your peace, and maybe that person lets you in, you are to eat and drink whatever they are to provide. Now, this text is, again, emphasizing we're not to be distracted, we're not to be calling for the best meals, we're not to have great strategies, we are to go to whoever will take us in, we will give them the message, they will receive it, or they won't. But in this text, he says, eat and drink whatever they provide. In another translation, it's eat whatever they put in front of you. Now, it's not this parish, but at my last parish, I would visit people on occasion, and I would not be sure from what year the food that was put in front of me is from. And I'll be honest, there were a few occasions where I did not eat the food. In fact, I pretended to eat the food, and then I would put it on the chair right in between my legs, and then when I left, I'd sneak and throw it in the garbage. So guilty, I'm already not obeying this text. So if you feel bad, I feel bad. But Jesus is making clear, we are not to find the richest person. In fact, when somebody takes you in, stay there. Don't get distracted. Jesus even said earlier, right, in the midst of your way through to Samaria to proclaim this message, don't even greet other people along the way. Now, Jesus isn't saying being a jerk, but what he's saying is don't get distracted. Be of a single-minded devotion to me and to the kingdom of God. This is a radical call. This is the call of Christ, particularly for missionaries and ministers, but also to you. 
Now, one of the tech parts of this text that I find interesting and that I think scandalizes a lot of us is that the text says, when they don't receive you, you are to brush the, the dust off your feet and protest against them. But essentially what he's doing here is, if, do you remember James and John? They were the ones who, upon experiencing rejection, they were the ones who said, Lord, should we call fire down from heaven upon them? Jesus is saying, we're not doing that. We're letting God sort out everything. You, you offer your peace. If it is not received, you leave and go on. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I hate, nobody likes to experience rejection. And I absolutely hate it. And Jim and I were walking, I think this was on Friday, we were walking around the neighborhood and we were at Union Square and you all have experienced this before if you live here in New York. You see that person with the iPad and they have that vest over their shirt and it's usually for a great cause. It's like staring you in the face and I should give to that cause, but I'm not going to. Maybe it's for to save the animals. Maybe it's, you know, whatever it may be. And I just, Jim and I did what we always do. We, we said, no, thank you. And then I just internalized how much experience of rejection that person must receive day to day. It must be enormous. Maybe the best thing for me would be to experience that for a week or two and then my fear of rejection would go away. But Jim, being the good Christian that he is, he didn't give them money, but he said to this person, wow, you are amazing. You must experience so much rejection. Good for you. And made that person's day. So Jim was actually a good person about it, whereas I, when I was embarrassed and wanted to run away. But I say all that to, to emphasize that Jesus says you will experience rejection. The message will be rejected. And when they're rejecting you, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. They're rejecting my Father in heaven. So once again, all that I've said and all that was said last week emphasizes that Christ calls for single-minded devotion to him and to his kingdom. And the text ends with that last paragraph. The 70 come back, and they're not coming back all bummed out. In fact, it worked. They are rejoicing. They are filled with joy. Lord, even the demons submit to us, just like they submitted to you. And Jesus rejoices with them, only to say, don't get distracted by this either. Don't focus on the fact that even darkness submits to you. Rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. Rejoice that you have heard and internalized the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So once again, this entire text has one real message, and that message is that you and I are called to single minded devotion to our Lord and to his kingdom. But I'm going to ask the same question that Jim did last week. What about when we don't? What about, I've already told you about my fear of rejection, what about those times when I know that I have an opening that I could talk to someone about Christ and Christ's kingdom and I punk out 
I punt. And I do it so often. Maybe you've been in the same situation as well. What about the fact that if you look at me, I live a pretty cushy life as a minister of our Lord Jesus Christ. I work where all my fellow priests want to work. I live on 16th Street, and I'm not even in a small closet. What about the fact that yesterday a parishioner took me to the tavern on the green? I do not look like one of the 70 that Jesus called to proclaim the message of God. I'm not saying that all of those things are bad. And I'm not saying that I can never divulge in them. At least I don't think I, I, don't think I can. That said, when I hear that word, single-minded devotion to our Lord and to his kingdom, I know my first thought is that I do not measure up. And it's why I like so much that during the season of ordinary time, we put the confession of sins at the beginning of the service because I come to church expecting to need forgiveness, expecting to need to begin again. The news of this text is that Jesus wants our single divided devotion and loyalty to him, and that is life. That is a good thing. But we can never forget that what brackets this entire travel narrative, all ten of these chapters, is that Jesus has set his face toward Jerusalem. He set his face toward the cross for people like you and me who are so often not single-mindedly devoted to him, but to ourselves. Our Lord was single-mindedly devoted to you and to me all the way to the cross, knowing that we'd fail, knowing that we'd fall short because he loves us. And this is not some sentimental hallmark card kind of love. This is a going to the cross for the people you love kind of love. So my friends, I'm going to end with this. You and I are called to proclaim the gospel to those who need it. And that is good. And that is life. But when we fall short, never forget that our Lord and Savior is single-mindedly devoted to us despite our coming up short, despite the fact that we are so often running the opposite way. And so now that we've heard the gospel, let us taste of this gospel, this single-minded love, for suffering sinners like you and me. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.